Beyond the Baseline is brought to you by T-Mobile this baseball season. T-Mobile customers can get a free season-long subscription to MLB TV Premium. Sign up by April 10th. That's only a few days from now. Sign up at T-Mobile.com slash MLB or at MLB.tv while on T-Mobile's network. We're also brought to you by Harry's Razors, which are superior razors. They're shipped straight to your door. I got one just the other day. They are at half drugstore prices, and I think they're probably... At least in Manhattan, much less than half drugstore prices. Get $5 off your first offer with the code BASELINE at harrys.com. And by FanDuel, now the basketball's back. You can try the fun and competition of daily fantasy, risk-free, up to 10 bucks. Go to FanDuel.com and enter the code BEYOND. I think the perfect sweet spot for any sport as far as health of it, as far as you know, how much we enjoy it and how much we look back is... You know, Roger and Rafa, both at the top of their games, and their kind of peak crossed over for five or six years, but they're both legends of the game going at it. You know, you have Everton, Navratilova, McEnroe, and Borg. Those, you know, Sampras, Agassi, those are the sweet spots. You know, so right now, it's weird to think that Djokovic's legacy, we'd remember it more fondly. People would almost gravitate towards him more if he had someone that was challenging him. If he came and got knocked off a little bit, in a weird way, you know, we would enjoy kind of that process a little bit more when he did win again. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. Thanks for joining us. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast Beyond the Baseline. This week, we have a guest from Austin, Texas, former world number one Grand Slam champion, Bon Vivant, father, husband, wit. It's Andy Roddick. A lot of you have been requesting him, and uh, we were able to get him by phone. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Hard to mess up an interview with uh, with Andy. He's uh, a bright guy and always has been. A lot of opinions about a lot of different subjects. This is a bit rambling, but that's by design. Uh, we bring him in now. Andy Roddick, hey, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. We've had uh, a lot of requests to have you on, and I'm glad we got you. Before we get started, you were terrific in this space, and I'm curious, before we even get going, how you prepared, how you went about this. Did did you arrive at these podcasts with a list of questions, or did you just uh, fire up and go? Because you you had this media mastered. Oh, I I think that's... uh... I think that's generous. Uh, you know, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, we didn't really, I did it with a guy named Bill Ryder and we didn't, we didn't really have that many guests on, to be honest. And, and when we did, it was more of like a, like a conversation where they could kind of hang out the whole time. Um, you know, we, we, we actually didn't like having guests on that much because, you know, we, we would do like random things like top 10 list of nineties TV shows yeah, exactly. and, you know, they, they kind of gave us uh, a creative liberty, which would either uh, turn you off to where you would never want to listen to us again, or you were actually quasi interested in uh, uh, maybe got involved in, uh, in our, in our kind of stupid, crazy little, little podcast. I heard you once do half an hour by yourself. That's impressive. Yeah, I remember that. It was, uh, I think it was the LA traffic that got Bill and it was the only time we could do it. And I was actually up in the middle of nowhere in the North Carolina mountains and they said, uh, should we try it? And I said, I, I mean, I'll, I'll wing it. We'll see what happens. I guess, uh, you know, it was, um, I hadn't really thought about it too much, but I remember, uh, I think you said something. And I think, uh, our friend David law from England, he was like, I think he was the only guy in the world who actually listened from outside of America. But, um, he, uh, he listened and said something about kind of like being able to do it alone, but, uh, I didn't mind doing it that day. It's not something that I was kind of wanting to do, uh, from that day forward either. All those tennis press conferences served you well. It's a long, it's a long monologue. You know what? It, it's 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 a lot easier sitting back and let other people, letting other people do the work and asking the questions and just reacting. That's that's a, that's an easier space for me. I'm going to sit back and do all the work. I'm going to let you answer the questions. Um, I appreciate where, it. Where are you? Where, where did I? Uh, where are we getting you? I am in uh, Austin, Texas, uh, where. Uh, where we live, I uh, rushed home to be on uh, the podcast today. I was just actually hitting Thanks, balls man. with uh, with uh, Ryan Harrison. He's getting on the clay, which is, uh, you know, clay when I was playing well was a nightmare for me. So imagine four years removed, uh, never hitting on it at all. So it was, uh, it's, uh, it's a t- tough ask these days. 
all the surfaces are the same. We keep hearing that. I, yeah, exactly. I, I, always, I always get a kick out of that. And all these homogenized surfaces, like, I, you know, they, they may not be as dramatic as they were when, uh, you know, Borg won the French and then Wimbledon, but tr- trust me, there's there's a difference between uh, Ron Garrison and, and Wimbledon. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 think, I, I think it is a lot more, as opposed to like a zero to 100 scale, let's call it, between, French, you know, the French Open and Wimbledon back in the day. I think it's like a like a 30-70 scale now or, or, you know, 35-65. I don't know that there's, you know, you never get on a, a hard court now. And, you know, maybe it's changed. I'm obviously talking from a place of ignorance for the last three years, but you never really got on like an indoor hard court and said, you know, first guy to the net wins the point. Or, you know, it just didn't, it didn't really work like that anymore. All right, let's get to tennis in a second. But more importantly, fatherhood's treating you well? You're, you're sleeping a little <laughs> yeah. bit? Yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's amazing because I'm not uh, super dramatic. I don't really buy into cliches that much. Um, you know, I'm not the guy that's going to cry at a Hallmark commercial. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it, all the cliches about being a parent are uh, are true. You know, it, 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 he comes out and you know, ten seconds after he existed, it's like you care about it more than you've ever cared about anything in your life. So it's. Uh, it's a it's a crazy deal, but um, that and you kind of have a lot of respect for for what a what a woman goes through, um, you know, with having a kid and in waking up during the night and fee. I mean, it's a it's a it's a huge ask, but uh, man, it's rewarding and it's a lot of fun. I got bad news for you. I got I got good news and bad news. The the bad news is that these cliches they continue being true, much as we all hate trafficking and <laughs> cliches. All these things, like, it goes so fast, you won't believe these people they grow up. Every awful parenting cliche actually has some uh, some basis behind it. Is your uh, the- I'm, I've like I've like I've like become the guy. I'll be like golfing with some guys, some buddies from the place I play golf, and we'll be on like the third tee. I'm like, well, check out what Hank did. He ate for the first time today, and I'm like showing. They're like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> like, guy time. Like, stop it. We all do that. Um, yeah, sleeps sleeps okay. I'm thinking to be a tennis player, uh, probably good preparation for that. You don't know when you're going on the court. You got jet lag. You're it's it's probably actually pretty good preparation for this drill. Yeah, uh, I, you think so? I don't know that being tired translates to being tired. You know, I, I think tired is tired uh, at any rate. But um, Brooke's pretty cool. I mean, she uh, she did a lot of the heavy lifting at night. She her theory was that we don't need two exhausted people during the day. So then. You know, the the I'd got up early if he woke up early, and I'd kind of take him, and then I'd spell her in the afternoon if she wanted to take a nap. So, um, she she thought that I could add more value uh, at those times than actually getting up with her at night. So I was I was completely with that program. I feel like you uh, maybe literally, but I'm talking figuratively. You, you you kind of bought low, sold high with you. You were in on Austin before uh, before Austin got hip. I congratulate you on that, but it's it's weird to see this. I remember, remember t- tell the story real quick. Didn't didn't you play tennis with was it Drew Brees or Chris Mim or something? When you were a kid, you I can't remember the story. Yeah, you played tennis with Drew Brees. Both, both of them, um, actually. Uh, Mim was he he grew too big for tennis, and you know his knees were bad and whatever. But um, Drew used to play like the uh, the local tournaments here, um, and I couldn't beat him. He was kind of like the best in the city. I mean, he was three or four years older than I was. Um, still is probably. Um, but, but, uh, he would, he would beat me. I, I don't, I forget if it was once, twice or whenever it was, but then I, I finally beat him and, uh, he decided to quit tennis. So, uh, I always, I always, I always joke that football fans can thank me or Saints fans more, more, uh, more, uh, particular worked out. All right. For him. But no, is it, is it weird seeing your city being, uh, transformed into uh this sort of hipsterville my my hipsters neighbor we're we're moving we're putting our place on the market where are you going austin where else um i'd sort of eat then hawkins turn on a podcast austin is uh that's a hip town you got weird weird to see this transformation uh yeah you know it used to be a best kept secret now it's like the worst kept secret um you know it's 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 crazy because the skyline used to we used to have this building called the frost tower and and uh, that was kind of the only thing that was big. And even back in the day, I think I heard there was a law. Nothing was allowed to be uh, taller than the Capitol building. Yeah, right. Um, right, right. And, that's, and that's completely changed. I mean, it's like you, can't, you can barely see the Capitol building from a lot of angles now when you're looking at downtown. And, uh, you know, it's been a lot of years of skyscrapers. And you see South by Southwest come in. And, um, you know, I feel I always used to make fun of uh, 
like people going to Coachella, you have to wear like the Coachella uniform. Yeah, right, right. And, and, and now, now I feel like it's a South by Southwest uniform, you know, and I, it's kind of like, you know, we don't all wear cowboy boots and cowboy hats every day, but, you know, more power to you. Your handlebar mustache is intact, I hope. You, you know what's the, uh, you know, you know the next Austin, too, is uh, you're going to get double whammy. A- Asheville, North Carolina is fast being uh, Austinized. Yeah, well, we're we're far enough away from Asheville where we're uh, I don't think we're directly in the firing line. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean they're both great places. I think uh, Asheville will probably get hit less than Austin just based on a uh, uh, state income tax. And I think it's a viable, you know, Texas is such a viable place for for business and right. the economy has been so strong. I don't know that that's by accident. So um, you know, you do see a lot of businesses relocating from places like, especially California. So. Uh, they've made it a, uh, a a nice place for for big business to come. They've made it a big a nice place for. It's always been a great place for musicians, but acting tech, uh, you know, all those big tech companies have satellite offices here. So they've, it's really been a, kind of a, a crafted overnight success that's taken place over the course of fifteen or twenty years. You know, just watch out for what happens when the price of oil starts falling. Um, well, it, I, 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 hopefully it's bottomed out. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure it's going to get much lower than $28 a barrel or whatever it was about six weeks ago. So at least I hope not. Cause my bets on it going, being above that <laughs> for, for people my age and your brother's age, it's like high school when you fill up your car now, you're like 13 bucks to fill up a car. I haven't done, done that. I know it's, 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 it, it'll, it'll regulate. I mean, you know, everything kind of exactly. goes up and down. I remember, you know, however long ago it was, it's like people wouldn't, couldn't afford gas and now it's down and. It's funny how the rhetoric around these problems is always like it's going to be permanent. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it, it'll go up. I think people, uh, you know, it's not so much of a of an Austin thing with the oil as it is like a, a Dallas-Houston issue as far as uh, people that have made their money through that business. Watch my segue here. Watch how we do this. You, I would say tennis is kind of cyclical too in that sense. The sports, <laughs> the sports cooked after well done, well done. Uh, after Nadal Federer. And Djokovic leave. This sport is cooked. Um, what do you uh, what What are you seeing out there now? You, you just said you came from the courts with Ryan Harris. I mean, what's your What's your intersection of your life in tennis these days? Yeah, you, you know it's a good segue when you have to explain it. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're gonna edit uh, that out. You know, you, you know what? I'm 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 pumped about uh, as a tennis fan. I'm pumped to see these uh, these American kids coming up. Um, and I think the best thing that they have going for them is that there's a, a lineup of them. It's not one guy or two guys, you know, to where if, if they have a bad couple of tournaments, it's like this, you know, constant story. Hopefully the story will be about someone else playing well that week. And I think that's what uh, kind of the golden generation of American tennis benefited from. You know, Andre was allowed to kind of fall off the face of the planet, and we still had people to fill that gap. And then he was able to come back um, – you know, kind of work his way through a challenger and, and you know, they, that's, that's extreme, but uh, those guys were allowed to have an off week or two or even an off year and, you know, Pete and Courier and Chang, and there was always someone relevant in there. Um, I don't know that that was always the case through, uh, through, through my career. Um, you know, but the, these guys, these young guys are, are, are playing great. And uh, it, that, that's probably the most exciting thing for me to see. When you won the U S open, the first thing you said when you walked off the court is I don't have to answer any more questions about yeah. when's the next American to win a major. Um, yeah. now these guys get it all the time. Does that, I mean, it's, it's annoying. I can only imagine what it's like to go from town to town and hear this every week as if it's a fresh perspective, but does that have any material bearing? I mean, do you think these kids are really materially feeling pressure that it's been whatever it's been 13 years, or is it just one of these annoyances? I I, I really don't. I mean, it might, the question around me was kind of stupid just because, you know, Pete won an Pete, the last guy to win a U.S. Open before me was American. So I, I just <laughs> yeah, didn't understand. That. Right. <laughs> I actually didn't understand the, the rhetoric. They just wanted to be someone else. You know, it's like the thing I think I, I see in sports the most is, you know, when you even segued with this question is, you know, what's next after these guys? And I'm saying, I'm saying man, let's settle in and enjoy the, the end of this kind of greatest generation. Um, you know, I think we're too we're in too much of a hurry to kind of get to the uh, the next thing. But um, as it pertains to the question of, of these guys feeling the pressure, um, not yet. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's hard to I, I don't think it's a realistic conversation to ask uh, Francis Tiafo or, or Fritz or Tommy Paul or whatever about winning a major because they're they're they haven't even experienced anything close to that yet. 
um, you know, I think they have to, and not to say that they make great progress and it's been fun to see them. And they're, they're certainly pushing guys that are at the top level, but there's a difference between that and actually being at the top level yourself. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't think that's a realistic sure. conversation yet, sure. but I, I definitely think it can be in the future. All right, Andy Roddick, hold that thought. You are a baseball fan. You once threw out the first pitch at an Oakland A's game, if memory serves. And now you, Andy Roddick, and you, listeners, can catch every Major League Baseball game. It's only on T-Mobile for customers that get a free year-long MLB TV premium subscription, a $109.99 value for free, so you'll never miss a game. Hurry up and sign up by April 10th to catch any out-of-market game all season long. That's over 2,400 Major League games over 7,000 hours of baseball that'll never touch your data plan. Thanks to Binge On from T-Mobile, you can stream your favorite team's games without using any of your data. T-Mobile has you covered, unlike all those other guys. I have always wanted to do infomercial voice. Here we go. You ready? Sign up for MLB.tv while on T-Mobile's network. New MLB.tv premium subscriptions only. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Binge On available to T-Mobile customers with qualifying plans. Detectable video typically streams a DVD quality video from participating services. Don't count against full speed data on U.S. network. Third party subscription charges may apply. Offer void where prohibited. Actually, doesn't say that. I just added that. Um, check out MLB.tv now. Did you watch the. Uh, we're, we're doing this on a Wednesday. Did you happen to catch UConn women's hoops last night? I didn't. I was uh, I was reading about it. You'd be shocked how little sports I actually watch now. Um, so with uh, with the little guy, or is that I, uh, mid thirties? The the little guy and the fact that it's not quite my job, um, and it coincided with uh, we're still battling our way through the new season of uh, of House of Cards. So um, That's a good one. It's this 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 crazy mix of all that stuff, which uh, and, and I guess the shorter answer for this would have been no, I didn't see it. So uh, I was going to go on a tangent and say how much would binge watching have helped the career of a tennis player ten years ago, where you could just wait for your uh, court <laughs> time by knocking off you know billions or uh, house of cards, or whatever. Um, no, UConn. I mean, I think the halftime score was something like fifty to twenty-one, and yeah. and it did rekindle this debate, and we see it in tennis. Um, you know, what's do we want parody or do we want these clear cut champions? Um, you know, for for all intents, Novak's undefeated this year. Good for yeah. tennis, bad for tennis. Can we appreciate him? Do you wish someone rose to the challenge? Can we just sit back and say we, we thought it was Pete, then we thought it was Roger, then maybe it was Rafa, and now here is another player that's making a bid for greatest of all time? I mean, how much are you concerned or how much you enjoy the fact that we have a guy that's just playing at a completely different level it seems in the rest of the field right now see the good news is i don't have to choose one side of that do i want roger to come up and 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 challenge him or do we want one of the young guys to challenge him yes do i appreciate what's going on absolutely um you know i don't have to choose i think the perfect sweet spot for any sport as far as health of it as far as uh you know, how much we enjoy it and how much we look back is, you know, Roger and Rafa, both of the top of their games and uh, their kind of peak crossed over for five or six years, but they're both legends of the game going at it. You know, you have Everton, and Avertilova, McEnroe and Borg, those, you know, Sampras, Agassi, those are the sweet spots. Um, you know, so right now, Joe, it, it's weird to think that Djokovic's legacy would be better if someone came up or we would not even better. Uh, that's the wrong terminology we'd remember it more fondly. People would almost gravitate towards him more if he had someone that was challenging him. If he came and got knocked off a little bit in a, in a weird way, you know, we would enjoy kind of that process a little bit more when he did win again. Um, but what he's doing is just amazing. So as, as a former player, uh, looking at it, not just wanting to be entertained, uh, I can certainly appreciate what he's doing. I mean, it's, 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 it's real impressive. I mean, the guy doesn't have any holes in his game. Um, I, I feel like even when he's not playing well, exactly, he's still exactly. winning in straight sets. I mean, it's it's 
you know, I watched him at Indian Wells for a couple of matches, and he didn't look great. And he, and he, by the end of the tournament, he was still rolling people. So, <laughs> right. um, you know, we were ready to throw a party because Rafa got him to a breaker in the semifinals. There, you know, it's it, it, it's it's insane, kind of the precedent that that he's uh, he's been able to set. All right, we'll get back to Andy in a second. Actually, Andy played with Scruff for parts of his career. When I was a full-time writer and didn't have to go to the office and show my face, I wrote with Scruff. I don't do that anymore. You know what I use now? Harry's razors. You know why razors are locked in that plexiglass case at drugstores? It's because they cost so much, they're afraid that they'll get shoplifted. Well, you know what? Harry's razors are a fraction of the cost of that Rite Aid and CVS razor behind the glass case. Two guys started harrys.com, and they sell high-quality blades that provide a close, comfortable shave for half the price. And I'm telling you, it is less than half the price, at least if you're living in Manhattan, than your conventional razors. Again, these are the best razors I have ever used. I say that with full candor. I was sent one maybe two weeks ago, and I am an absolute converse. I have yet to change the blade. I shave every day. This is the best shave I have ever gotten. I feel almost, Jamie, we would almost be inclined to take a selfie and put it on the site to show this clean shave. Just, have you seen a cleaner shave? I don't think you have. Harry Starter said it's the best option for new customers. It's a great deal. For 15 bucks, you get a razor handle, shaving gel, and three of the five-blade German-engineered razors. Plus, for listeners of this show, Harry's giving you $5 off your first purchase with the promo code BASELINE. Go to harrys.com right now. That's harrys.com. Make sure you use the code BASELINE. I'm telling you, these are the best razors you will use. What about um, and sort of jump jump in wherever here? Where where do you yeah. stand on some of the less savory? Uh, it's been an interesting ninety days, hundred days for our sport so far uh, in twenty sixteen. Are you sort of watching this from afar? Are you particularly agitated by one issue or another? I mean, what what's your take on some some of these? Um, whether whether it's match fixing or Maria or just just sort of the general craziness of. Uh, the first hundred days here. Yeah, I mean, I, it's weird. I, I I like Maria. I think it's all she's always gone about it the right way. Do I think that she honestly knew anything? I, I think it was an honest mistake what she did. Now the conversation on you know what she was taking and whether that was you know kind of abuse of something that was legal and that's a that's a whole other conversation. The the part of the conversation that interest me that hasn't been brought up one time and if it was any other sport it would be talked about ad nauseum is what this does to her hall of fame candidacy right um you know any any other any other sport you know baseball it's like it's a pretty clear line in the sand that would be no uh football you know people have done some terrible terrible things off the field and still gotten in um you know so there's there's different conversations but that's kind of the interesting conversation to me that I that I haven't even heard once yet. Well, to me to me Hall of Fame is sort of a pretext for how in, in these other sports for how much should we discount what was achieved, right? I mean, I, I don't think I think people look at Bonds's <clears throat> home run record is tainted or you know Sammy Sosa's home run chase is tainted. Um to me what hasn't been discussed is how much should we be looking back at these majors and and reconsidering their legitimacy if, if this no you can't you i mean if 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 something's legal and she's winning them while it's legal there's 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 no there's no conversation mm. you know now i well you can disagree with me but maybe mm. that's where we're maybe that's where the discussion is it's always more interesting of a discussion when everyone's not just agreeing with each other and nodding you know with right. a microphone next to the next person that's no my, know, that's, my issue know. with that my issue with that is there are a lot of things i mean whether it whether it's historical, I mean, it doesn't have to be just in sports. I mean, there are, there are a lot of things that we know in our gut are wrong that may not be codified as wrong. Well, and we okay, still have to okay, make a decision okay, so, to do it or not, right? So so let's so let's walk that. Let's take you know you obviously don't like it, and you're questioning the legitimacy well, I, of slams. Well, okay, but you can't argue with me and then say you're not doing that. But so going, let's take the legitimacy of slams based on what she's taken, and you want to put a question mark next to it. That's fine. But then how far do you take it? Do you take it to what McEnroe's admitted to doing, like in 84, and start questioning his whole thing? That'll never happen. So you have to kind of, you have to kind of be fair on, on, on all sides of it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of reserving judgment until there's a hearing and we know a little bit more. And did she put these drugs on her floors? My only point is when people say, 
hey, look, it wasn't on the list before 2016. Therefore, she wasn't doing anything wrong. Well, that, I don't know about that. I mean, if, if, if I have a company policy and they don't codify you can't plagiarize, um, I, I still may, I may not have yeah, technically but, violated it till that appears on company policy, but I still know in my gut that I'm doing something unethical. That's, yeah, but John, that's, that's ridiculous. That's like saying in, in, in everyday life something becomes a law. That's like saying uh, drinking, let's say, let's say drinking had been outlawed for a certain amount of time, and then all of a sudden it's legal, and then you're going to go back and penalize someone for, or, or sorry, the other way around. Let's say it was legal, and let's say they banned drinking next year, and now all of a sudden, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, that's, a, that's a very slippery slope sure, uh, sure. to but go I... down. I mean, my thing is she won things. She won it legally. Nothing was banned. And, you know, so you, she did win five slams without it. So I, I'm not going to sit here and take that away from her. Now, do we want to judge the entire – she will get judged on the entire context of her career on getting popped for something, and I think that's fair also. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't think we're that far apart. My only point is that I just think it's too, it's too easy to say it wasn't on the list until January 1st of this year. Ergo, she wasn't doing anything wrong before then. Like, we, we do this all the time where we make judgments and – we we have ethics okay, well, even if there is okay, something. Okay, well, then right. we're having two different conversations because whether or not you think she was wrong for it, I certainly respect your opinion either way. But whether it you know takes away from her five slams, it, absolutely not. There's there's no chance. Right, right. I mean, if you if if you're if you're talking about a moral issue and if you judge her morally, that's one thing. But she still won five slams. She won the career grand slam while taking something that was not illegal. Now, did she? You know, there's a, there's a lot of gray area, but she won those slams not taking anything that was a banned substance. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I wrote about this today, too, that, that I find the whole this, this whole conversation just gone in so many strange directions with players, too, where, you know, we, we have players weighing in on whether she's arrogant or not. And I'm thinking you, you support your colleague or you're very angry at your colleague because she took money off your table, in, in a sense. You have thoughts about performance-enhancing drugs. Whether Maria Sharapova said hi to you in the locker room is really kind of irrelevant uh, as a discussion yeah, I point agree. right now. But I, I agree. I think you have to base it on facts, not what, not what you know. I, I think some people out there, just based on success, is going to. I mean, success breeds jealousy. I think that's a that's right. a natural human right. emotion. Um, am I going to judge her harsh, harsher because she wasn't the friendliest in the locker room? I don't really care about that. That makes no difference to me on as far as the context of her career. If she if she was the greatest in the locker room, then great. We'll give her credit for that. But uh, I just couldn't care less whether or not she said hi to, you know, someone she didn't know or someone she didn't before. Whatever. I, that, that makes no difference to me. No, I, I'd like to see the discussion should be restricted to uh, how do we Agreed. feel about it. Anyway. Um, Agreed. So uh, I, I was talking to, a, to an N, former NBA player, like, what was it, a couple weeks ago. And uh, he was saying it was really hard for him to watch basketball after he retired because he'd turn on a game and he could say, man, I can still play with – I can't curse on the show, but uh, I can still play with those guys. Um, yeah. What was your relationship like? I mean, you, you're, you're a guy who were still a, an awfully credible player when you decided to, uh, to retire. Mm-hmm. Strange to turn on the TV a year later and say, you know what, uh, I'm winning that match if I'm on the court right now. Um, yeah, I, 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 the thing was, I didn't have to think that cause I kind of knew it. I mean, the last time I played, I made the second week of a slam. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. and I won, you know, I won two out of my last five events. I think, I think that's the right amount. It was two out of five or two out of six. Um, you know, so I didn't really wonder if I could still play. Um, my shoulder was pretty bad for a year afterwards. So that was, you know, it wasn't really a realistic conversation. Um, you know, and then kind of time goes on and you're two or three years and all of a sudden my shoulder feels better and I can hit you know, the numbers that I used to hit. And then I start, and then the conversation starts to roll. It's like, well, geez, you know, the, the what if game is always fun. And I think it's inevitable if you, you're a former athlete and, you know, I, I, I love hitting with the current guys still just because my ego needs it. You know, he, you, you need to know that barometer and you kind of need to know where you think you'd be. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I, I think it's impossible to do something your entire life and then, you're kind of judged against a certain result or where you are. And that's kind of, you know, for better or for worse, that, that a lot of your self-worth comes from that in a given moment. And so I think that's only natural to, to kind of wonder. This is going to be the uh, ball-washing portion of today's show. But, uh, I, I, you know, I, I put you in that category with, with Courier and with someone like Lindsay as someone who's 
sort of in, intelligence and curiosity outstrip their their formal education. Yeah, all modesty is all modesty think. aside. Does does being a you know does being a bright guy with interest did, did that help your transition after you were done playing, or or was that a complicating factor? Well, I have a theory about that, and I think it I think it helps. Um, you know, you see, you know, you mentioned Jim, and I think he's um, you know a very 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 smart human, and same with Lindsay. Um, but I think the difference with that, and that it's it's kind of a different way to go about the conversation is. Um, a lot of people who are on tour, their their social their social life and their social existence and their friend structure and exists on tour. Um, I had friends on tour. I you know would, I love joking with guys in the locker room, but kind of the meat and potatoes of my close friendships didn't exist on tour. Um, you know, so I didn't feel like when I was retiring, I was retiring from you know, a 15 year social circle as well as kind of my job. And I think, I think that part probably makes it, makes it a little easier. That's an interesting, uh, was that by accident or by design? Was that just sort of your, no, it it wasn't, I I don't know that I was that calculated. Um, you know, I I have, you know, my friend James and Marty, I'll always talk to all the time, but I still talk to them all the time. So it's not uh, a whole lot different. Um, you know, it's kind of, you make a, and it's no different for you covering tennis. You have a million acquaintances, but probably a handful of like lifelong, really close friends um, from that world, uh, you know. And, and I, I didn't have to sacrifice those lifelong friends just because I was I was retiring. Right, right. Um, are you, you? You said you just just walked off the court with uh, with with Harrison. Is that, yeah. is that is that sort of a you know it's 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 lineage? Is this? Um, you're doing this to stay in shape. You're taking an interest in this kid. I mean, I'm, I'm that that interests me. I mean, you, you've you've got a kid. You've, you're a husband. You're you're hitting ball. Yeah. You're hitting balls on a Wednesday. Why? Yeah. Well, the, the the difference is when I first retired, I could play 18, hit, and do it all. And now <laughs> I kind of have to choose something. Um, <laughs> I always joke that I'm allowed to do like one thing a day now uh, with uh, with a kid. But um, the reasoning why I don't know. I I like Ryan. Um, you know, I, I still enjoy hitting, so it's not like a completely selfless endeavor. Um, I like going out there. I like, uh, you know, sweating a little bit and, um, you know, it's an excuse to get out there. And, you know, I, I don't go to many tennis tournaments, um, you know, unless I'm working or making a corporate appearance or something. Um, I don't really just go to watch much. And so it's it's, it's still nice to kind of connect into that, that, that world that you existed in for so long. And um, I enjoy talking tennis. I enjoy playing. I never got to the point where I was – uh, even during or after where I was bitter about the game and all, I never, and I hear a lot of people have that. I, di- I didn't, I've always just enjoyed it and kind of uh, I've completely uh, gotten the fact that anything, pretty much anything good that I have in my life came in some way or another from, from tennis. So, um, you know, if, if Ryan says, you know, Hey, I'm going to be home for two weeks. Can I, can I steal some days from you to, to get out and hit some balls? And yeah, I'd love to, that'd be great. You said before that uh, you you don't follow sports all that much, which uh, sounds sounds like common sentiment for most people uh, of our age. But you are a huge. I mean, your sports knowledge is prodigious. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't want to say that I don't watch sports much. I, I I'd say at this point I'm probably less informed uh, than I normally am, which is normally very very informed. Um, you know, but I just just with the baby and and everything else, there's uh you know as as, as anyone kids would know, there's a lot less uh, kind of dead time where you just flip it on to you know whatever channel and and, and catch up. Um, you know, so I I still I'm, I'm a massive sports fan and I watch I watch what I can. Um, but just the last uh, the last six months has been a little hit or miss. But you, you'll you'll come back to the tribe. You'll uh, oh no I haven't I haven't uh, I certainly haven't written it off. You know, it's part of the fabric of. Of, uh, I was gonna say that me, and I've been a I've been a sports fan for so long, but it's just I'm a little scratchy right now. As far as, I don't, I'm not sure I could go, you know, live TV and and and, and kind of walk through uh, everything right now. You you were one of these guys I think a lot of people pegged very early as this guy is gonna have a job in media when he's done. This guy's gonna be a commentator, and you had a job shortly after you were done playing at, at Fox Sports One that, uh, ironically enough, had very little tennis. I mean, this was kind of a general. Your, your sports knowledge was, I think, really what you drew on and not, um, I mean, it wasn't very tennis related at all. Then you were at BBC 
for Wimbledon and, and fit in seamlessly, where's sports media in your sort of ether right now? Um, it's, it, I don't think it's a priority. Um, I enjoy it. Uh, I like to know that I can do it well. Um, I enjoy the process when I am doing it, but I don't know that I'm, if I have to, you know, if I can, if I'm away from home for X amount of time a year and, you know, it's tough for me to carve out, you know, the three or four months right now that it would take to actually be, uh, really, really good at it and kind of, you know, it, it, there's not a lot of companies that want to hire you on your terms for, you know, X amount here and a couple of days here and there. And um, I, I think the thing that I like most about my life is that I can, I kind of control my schedule. Um, so to give that up is, is something that uh, I don't do uh, easily, easily now. So uh, it, that, that's kind of a damper on, uh, on the sports media side. But I, I enjoy doing it and uh, I feel comfortable doing it. You'll be back at Wimbledon? Uh, I'm not going back this year. Um, I loved it. I had a blast doing it. Uh, you know, obviously doing uh, BBC is so prestigious. And, um, you know, for the third, to do my third match ever and have it be, uh, you know, my first ever match that I called, or third match that I ever called live, be the Wimbledon final was uh, was a, a, a pretty fast uh, transition. But uh, I enjoyed it. I liked it. Um, being in the studio for me was, was 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 pretty easy because of the work at, at Fox Sports One. Except now I was talking about something that I actually might have known something about. Um, you, didn't, you didn't have to get there four hours early for uh, I, hair and I, makeup I did, I at a production not. meeting either. Yeah, and I I, I walked through the draw early, and I think that I, I had played all the guys except for like twenty in the draw. Um, you know, so that that obviously helped a lot. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I you know I, I certainly haven't closed the book on it, but. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that I want to be away in the summer. Um, you know, away from away from him that much. You don't want to make that. Uh, you don't want to cross oceans. You know, with a nine. Yeah, it's year. just it's it's just it's just time. It, you know, it's just I'm 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 very selfish with my time. With I, I just love I just love being around the little guy so much that it's it's just it's just hard to pull me away. While tennis is rounding into mid-season form, we're on to the clay. You know what's back? Baseball's back. The Mets are losing to the Royals again. Clayton Kershaw is pitching. We've got drama. We have plenty of hot takes on Batista and tossing the bats. Yes, baseball's back. Freshly mowed grass and all that. Um, You're dying to play fantasy baseball. You know you are. And if you're not playing FanDuel this season, you're missing out on the most baseball fun a fan can have. On FanDuel, you choose. Do I compete to win cash from fans around the world? Or do I want to start a listener league with my friends? Either way, you get to be the GM. You get to be the Theo Epstein. You study the matches. You get your money ball on. You set your lineup. Entry fees are back at a buck. There's no commitment. Play for one day. Play for 180 days, plus the playoffs. And here's the best part. FanDuel is giving new players their first game risk-free. Here's what you do. Go to FanDuel.com. Enter the code BEYOND. Then enter a FanDuel league. Start one with your friends. If you don't win any prize money in the first contest, you know what? You get your 10 bucks right back. That's what I call no risk. FanDuel.com comes with my code BEYOND. Risk-free, up to 10 bucks. Play now. When you were at Wimbledon, um, you, you did live matches, but I remember sitting in the BBC studio when Serena Williams came in. And uh, I suspect mm. people could pull this off YouTube. But it was a great sort of authentic segment. You guys have known each other forever. I'm sure you're asked this in social situations and casually, and people say, oh, what's Serena Williams like? I, yeah. thought, you had, I thought you sort of had a, had a really unique take on her. Um, how far back do you go and, and kind of when people say, what's Serena Williams like, what do you tell them? Yeah, I, I do get asked that a lot. And I, I, I have a... You know, I, I know a very, very different side of Serena than she shows often. Um, you know, and um, I, I know I've, gosh, I've known her since we were eight or nine years old, maybe. Right. And you know, at, at at Rick Macy's in South Florida, um, you know, for three or four years of our lives when we were young, it was me on one court, Serena on one court, and Venus on one court, and and that's just what we did, you know, and we both, we all just trained every day. And, you know, I don't think people know how hard those girls trained when they were very, very young. I mean, we're talking all day, every day, hitting balls, very intense. I mean, it, they didn't, they didn't become what they became by accident at all. 
Um, but I always, I mean, Serena was here. She came to see the baby. Um, I don't know when it was one or, you know, he's probably six weeks old or something. And, uh, we were talking and, you know, it's just, she's so sweet and so nice and holding our son and, you know, laughing and joking and laid back and, you know, talking about a million different topics. And I go, gosh, Serena, you, you just don't, they did, people just don't know, you know? And I, I said, I, I watch after the U S open and it's, it's like, it's hard to watch you talk about it. And I honestly just think that she cares so much about winning and losing that she's not capable of getting over how pissed off she is when she goes in. And I wrote a, 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 a piece for, uh, actually we worked on it together, but right, right. Uh, for uh, sports person of the year. And I said, listen, you know, if Jordan was pissed off after a loss, the rhetoric was he's so competitive. He's so pissed. That's why he's so great. And for whatever reason, when it's around Serena and she's pissed off, it's aloof and she doesn't come off the right way. And I'm not sure if it's just the individual nature of tennis or, or, or you know, kind of what the undertones might be there. But um, I think there you know, might be I, a gender people, issue in there. Hmm. Uh, sorry, I think there might. I think there might be a gender issue in there. But but sorry, go keep going. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's for that's for other people to say. You know, you have to ask enough questions and you cross enough stuff off, and that kind of stays on on the list most times. But. Um, you know, I, I wish people saw and, and knew her the way that I do. I mean, she just couldn't be sweeter. And I know, I'm, I'm not sure that's the way that she's described in, in, uh, in the tennis or the sports world uh, often. It's funny. I was talking to James about her in Indian Wells, and he said, I have never seen another athlete compete the way she has. I mean, she's male, female, individual sport, team sport. I have never seen a competitor like her. And your first instinct is to sort of play this game that, People like us play and devils add, oh, what about? I was stumped. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that in our lifetime there is an athlete that has had her competitive instincts. And Yeah, she, it, it, the thing is that she's just, it, look, if, she, if she was a guy and she wore her emotions on her sleeve all the time, good, bad, got pissed. And like people look back on, I mean, I threw fits a million times, right? And in the moment, they weren't always great. And in the moment I might've gotten criticized and in the moment, you know, people said I was a brat and they were probably right. But like now people look back and they laugh about it, you know, and it's like, okay, that was kind of funny. And you know, that's, that's normally what it is. And she doesn't get the benefit of that doubt. So w- whatever that conversation is, uh, I just feel, you know, she, and, and she, you know, I told her, I was like, you're, a, you're your own worst enemy sometimes, you know, you go in and you just give people nothing, you know, <laughs> but, but that's just, that's just the way she ticks. And, you know, there, there are different routes to greatness, and, you know, it, 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 it's easy. You know, if people had a camera on everyone's worst day at work, they would look worse than Serena does on her worst day at work. You know, as far as their attitude, as far as the way they uh, talk about things, uh, they would look worse than she does. No, but I, I think the other point you raise is a good I mean, what do we say about uh, Russell Westbrook? He's he's a prick, but he's an animal. This uh, He's a serial killer, and he's a ninja. Um yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem it, like she it, gets the benefit having, of what... having an edge and, and and kind of being mean and pissed off and you know all the things that she can be when things are going her way uh, are are presented a different way uh, a lot of the time in sports. Um, last few questions. What what else is impressing you in sports right now? I mean, when you is it the, the Warriors have your attention? I mean, you you did this in your previous job, but I feel like even even as a player, you always had interesting insights about the sports. Landscape yeah, you, overall. you know, what's you, know what's kinda, you know what's pissing me off a little bit is uh, what's that? It, it, is is you you mentioned the Warriors and I think it's I think it's unbelievable and I think tennis players do a good job of you know you ask Andre Agassi I know you, I think you had him on the pod do you have him on the podcast yeah, recently yeah. yeah yes we did yeah so if you if you ask him about the way that the the guys are playing now he goes he's effusive in in, in his praise. He'll say Roger was unbelievable. The way Novak's playing, it's 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 very comparable to me. Except he's six foot three. He moves better. He's more flexible. <laughs> you know, he covers more ground. He'll he'll tell you that Novak's playing a different brand of tennis and a better brand of tennis than he played. Now, when people talk about the Warriors, whether it's Scottie Pippen saying they're going to sweep them or Oscar Robertson criticizing Steph Curry or you know, I worked with Gary Payton at Fox Sports One, and anybody who was current was automatically worse than anybody who played in the '90s. <laughs> and That's I just don't Gary understand Payton. what these guys like. There's like an insecurity around like 1990s NBA basketball guys where they just can't give credit to something that's 
not only new but different. Like the Warriors are playing a different brand of basketball. They're like, well, the Knicks in the 90s played, you know, they'd, they'd beat you up. I'm like, the Knicks in the 90s also lost a lot more. They weren't as good of a team. They're not even close to as good of a team. And it's like it, it, there's this little thing where all you read is these former guys kind of clinging to past glory, and it's just it, – it's a little – Scotty Pippen doesn't need to defend how good they were. Like just right. be comfortable in right. it. Um, my my theory too about the Warriors, it's a little like we were talking before about uh, – I mean, it's, it's almost like Roger. You, you know how R- Roger does not get described as an assassin. And these Warriors, I mean, they're not badasses. Steph Curry, you look at him. I mean, if – you look at LeBron James, and he's getting from half court to the basket in one dribble, and physically he looks like a different era. If you're Oscar Robertson, you say, "Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know if I could stop that guy." They look at Steph Curry, and he's, you know, six three, and uh, looks like the kind of guy they played in high school with. And they can't get yeah. over the fact that he might be better than they are. Well, shit. I mean, they're, they're, oh, sorry, you can't say that. You can sure bleep that can. out, hopefully. Um, but the thing is, is. It, like they're like I could guard him. I'm like you'd have to guard him out to 28 feet. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, exactly. P- Pippen's like right. Pippen's like I guard him. I, I I would be on him. It's like all right. Well then, he's stretching you out to 28 feet. All of a sudden, the best defender on the Bulls team isn't he? Is he's a non-starter once Steph passes the ball off. You know, it, he's literally taken out of an entire defensive system if he has to play that far out. I go that's a, you know there needs to be a little bit. There needs to be some more layers to the discussion than just oh Pippen would shut Steph Curry down. It's not one-on-one basketball. You know, it's, it, that's not the way it works. But what do you think about it? First, I mean, some of this is just like the, the older I get, the faster I was. Um, but I wonder if the fact that the Warriors have no badass in them, right? I mean, it's just like, yeah. it's, it's like whistle while you work and everybody's having a good time and they make funny videos. You know, the, those Jordan Bulls were, those were intense teams. I wonder if the, the, the fact that these seem like nice guys doesn't, uh, doesn't also sort of change perception among these players from the nineties. Right. Well, I, mean, get Gary I mean, yeah, I, I think that, that, I think that probably has something to do with it. I think just, it, it's just because it's different. That means they, you know, the, the guys might not understand it the same way. Therefore they don't view it the same way. You know, it, it's like, you don't have to snarl at somebody when all you're doing is draining jumpers and your ball movement is like the best we've ever seen. Um, you know, and your center is what six Draymond Green's like six foot six in his dream. He can play center, he can right. play small forward, you know. It's just different. I don't I, I think it's it's not easy to kind of put in in uh you know put an easy term on. You kinda of have to think about it. Why is it working? And you know, I I just don't think that I I'm just mad at normally greatness like recognizes greatness and I don't think it's that's happening and it it's 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 kind of annoying and I roll I kinda of roll my eyes every time one of these uh, former grades comes out of you know who knows where and is critical of them just because it's different from the way they did it. I'm telling you, uh, I've never seen a team play like this. But there, there also there are empirical measurements too, right? I mean, you you can look at their their spacing and their efficiency and their shooting. I mean, there, you can make a statistical case too that uh, this team's as good as we all think they are. Yeah, I mean, I remember last year we were on, I was on Fox Sports 1 and we're talking about them. And this was like midway through the season and they, you know, they weren't the team that won. They weren't this year's team in the regular season. Um, They hadn't kind of established themselves. I'm not sure that they hadn't been to an NBA Finals yet. And they go, who's your pick to win it all? And they're in first place. They're, I think, number one in offensive efficiency and number two in defensive efficiency on the season. I go, the Warriors. The Warriors are—they're my favorite. And they go, "Well, what are you talking about?" I go, "Which way do you want it? Do you want it based on, you know, clutch players' ability to stretch the floor, uh, offense, defense?" I go, "I'm not understanding why this is a, is a surprise to everybody." And for some reason, just because they play something that's a little bit different, you know, I guess they're going to need some more time to to prove themselves. I like that uh, you, usually my big gripe with tennis is that it's still stuck in 1981 and that, uh, you know, I, I always used to say if the NBA finals were going on and you had guys from the 80s uh, saying back in my day and talking about uh, games from 1986, everybody would say the sport's uh, stuck in the past. Now now basketball's going going that way as well. Um, yeah, it's 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 a little, it's a little, I get a little agitated uh, listening to it sometimes on TV when you know Rafa is like flipping a short forehand that's landing on the service line, but it's landing on the service line and then jumping over someone's shoulder and tailing away, you know, that lefty to a righty backhand, and like 
look at where that's bouncing. You got to come in on that. I'm like, okay, it's, it's bouncing the service line. It's up above your shoulder and it's crossing the sideline before the baseline. I'm not sure how you can actually think that you can come in off that. Like that's an antiquated yeah, exactly. yeah, right, just right. It's just not, they're not taking it, chances. It's, it, it, it's nonsensical. It's like, take it on the rise. I'm like, on the rise doesn't exist anymore. It's just a matter of court positioning. It's not, it's not like you're taking it on the rise with a chip and trying to establish position at the net. It's not, that's not something that's a realistic play anymore with the, the strings and the way, the way guys are playing. It, that's not, it, that's, you know, that's just not a realistic view. My, my favorite one of those, and she, I don't want to pick on her because she's actually very good about grounding herself in the present, but when, when Tracy Austin won the U.S. Open, she weighed 88 pounds. <laughs> thinking the game's evolved a little since then. Thinking your uh, your metrics from back then. Anyway, um, all right. This is great. I've taken a lot of your time. This was uh, I'm glad we did this. We got to do this again. No, we talked to Maria. I appreciate it. Uh, covered a lot of ground. Go uh, go spend time with your son. It's more important than sports. I'm going to. All right. all right. Thanks, John. Take it easy. Thanks. All right. That was Andy Roddick. That was a fun visit. It always is. Pity he won't be at Wimbledon. His broadcast on BBC was must-see TV. I think he has a long career in TV if he wants to go that way, but obviously a lot of options. Um, always have enjoyed talking to Andy. We've been doing this for many, many years together. Uh, I didn't even tell the story of the, the first time I interviewed him. I was in my 20s, and he was in his teens, and uh, we went to his house in Florida where we drank Hawaiian punch and uh, talked about his ascending tennis career. So we've known each other a while. Always a pleasure talking. A uh, few of you had suggested him, and that was a good suggestion. Open to more. We have a uh, special guest, a surprise guest we're trying to line up for next week. Um, I won't uh, give much more away, but you'll want to listen. Thanks again to our fearless producer, Jamie Lasanti, who does great work here. If you enjoy SI.com's tennis coverage in general, know that she is the brains and brawn behind it. You can follow me at John underscore Wertheim on Twitter. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. Hear the whole SI network at si.com backslash podcasts. Have a good week, everyone. We'll be back in seven days. Thanks for listening.